You're listening to the She Lift Project podcast, a show dedicated to helping women achieve higher levels of success in the workplace. No matter where you are in your career, we want to help you grow. Now here's your host, Cynthia Kirkpatrick, a CPA, CFP, and Senior Financial Advisor at Mineta Group. Hello and welcome to another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. I'm Cynthia Kirkpatrick and I'm happy to have you with us today. We have Joanne, Dr. Joanne Galicados, MD, joining us to share her uh, experience, path, story, and hopefully share some uh, information tips for everybody out there. So thanks for joining. But before we jump into the details of what you're doing and where you're at today or why you're even here, anesthesiologist at Mercy Hospital, so local major hospital system. Mm -hmm. You, I loved where you put on here is other accomplishments you're proud of. Mother of six kids and 1.8 grandchildren. (laughs) So one on the way. Yes, exactly. Do in a month. (laughs) In a month. And then what we'll also get into, I had no idea, you and I have known each other for a while, but that you had an electrical engineering degree yes, and Uh actually started there. So... Um, so currently at Mercy Anesthesiologist, I like some of the, uh, says, what professional role do you play? And some of the, t- the terms that you used here kind of made me laugh. You are the gas passer or drug lady and every pregnant lady's best friend right. when in labor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so is that really how you would describe your current role? Oh, that was being funny. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, we that's nobody remembers really us, which is fine. So we're just the people that pass the drugs and make their life a whole lot better when they're having surgery. <laughs> so I'm sure not only the patients, right, but then the doctors doing the surgery you make their life obviously go well their job go well right because you're monitoring the patient right throughout the whole procedure we can make or break their case we could cancel their case if the patient isn't healthy enough or we find something you know wrong with their heart or lungs that we don't think it's safe for surgery um or you know we could we can make their wake up slow if we're we're not happy with them or we can make their turnover long so (laughs) So we have a we have a big big role in their life <laughs> in like the surgeon's said, life. <laughs> and they, and the surgeon and the patient they barely remember you. I mean, I've had I had three kids, three C sections, and another surgery thrown in there. And you're right, the anesthesiologist is talking to you. You're falling asleep. Later, when you wake up, you think, I hope I didn't say anything. Yeah, people <laughs> ask bad. me that all the time. Did I say anything incriminating? I'm like, nope. Even if they did, I will never tell them. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Um, so why being an anesthesiologist of all, I guess, professions or options in the doctor world? Well, um, I came from an engineering background, so I was very used to the black and white, you know, just very mathematical. Um, I was uh, in medical school and I knew I wanted a family. And so I knew I wanted something that would work well with a family. Um, I loved pediatrics and I loved OBGYN. But in those days, there was no part-time female physicians. I mean, it just wasn't heard of. So I just knew that I couldn't really work that with a family. And anesthesia lent itself well with my engineering background. I mean, it was very mathematical. It was very black and white <laughs> so before you went it, explain the engineering and then 
medical school. school. Yeah. Was that all the was that the plan all along? Oh gosh, no. So my dad has his PhD in electrical engineering and I'm one of seven kids and if any of us seven could do math and science, we were like, "Hey, you should go be an engineer." And you know, I don't know about your college search, but it was nothing like it is today. You know, I was like, "Sure, dad, sounds good." And I got a full ride to A University of Missouri school because I was top of my class in high school. So my parents were basically like, "Well, which one do you want to go to?" You know, that was my college search. My dad goes, you should go down to Rella because you should be an engineer. You can do math science. So literally, I started engineering. And I mean, I liked it. I mean, I liked what I read about it and what I, the little I knew. I mean, there was no STEM classes. And I mean, I took calculus and physics and all that in high school. But, you know, there was no, here's what an engineer does kind of thing. So I went down to Rella and by the probably the middle of my sophomore year, I remember calling my dad and I go, dad, like, what does an engineer even do? Like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Like, what does an electrical engineering do? Now, mind you, I was getting a 4.0. I was doing great, but I didn't know what my career like path was. So I found three summer internships, one after my freshman year. I worked at um, General Motors plant in Wentzville. Mind you, at that time, there was nothing in Wentzville. There was the General Motors plant, and there was a pizza place, and there was a gas station, and nothing else. So I did a summer job there, and then the following summer, I, I went back there, and then I was like, I don't I don't really like this kind of... It was plant engineering. So I got to, you know, help with all the, the electrical systems to, you know, that helped the the machinery to put the cars together basically and um it was cool but i so i said you know i really need to get like a more of a hardcore research type of um job and see if that's the part of engineering i like so i did that the summer before my senior year of college and i was at mcdonald douglas boeing and uh i was working on the black box for the f-18 and i remember coming home when august I, I mean, I, Cynthia, I could, I still remember the song playing on the radio, and I remember just driving down. It was a beautiful evening, and I had just left work, and I'm like, I hate this. Like, I really hate this. I don't like being an engineer. And I came home, and I said, Dad, I think I want to go into medical school. And he's like, you don't want to do that. <laughs> and I go, no, I, I really don't like engineering. And so being the daughter of an engineer, we spent two weeks sitting every night analyzing my thought processes. There was no room for emotion. There was no room for anything but logical you know, explanation. So after two weeks, um, he said, okay, I think this is something that you really thought out. And you should go to Wash U. And I'm like, hmm. So anyway, long story short, I think... I always wanted to go to medical school. I always loved the study of medicine. But as a young female, nobody was encouraging anyone to go to medical school. And I was afraid of the time commitment. And I was afraid of, um, of you know, not being able to have a family. And then when I got into the engineering world, I realized I can't work part-time as an engineer. You know, there's project deadlines and stuff. No one's going to let me say, yeah, you, you know, you have Friday off, even though this big project is due tomorrow. So... So anyway, I realized that if I wanted to work part-time, maybe going into medicine would actually be a better idea. So I, that was August before my senior year of college, and I took my MCATs in September. Um, I had three weeks of biology, I had three weeks of chemistry, and I doubled up. I took 
chemistry one at the same time as organic. I took biology at the same time as anatomy and physiology because I had a boat ton. I mean, I had one chemistry class as far as my prerequisites. So anyway, I did all of my prerequisites, finished my engineering degree, and got into WashU. That, and so I started a year later. I started medical school a year from that August. So, What do you think crazy. was it about engineering that wasn't clicking? Was it just the part-time in the family, or were there other things underneath where it was like, I don't see myself being happy with this? I wanted more of a, a, of a people interactive role, and engineering was definitely not that. Um, I needed to be with people, I needed to talk with people. Um, I guess if there were women, maybe so, but at that time there weren't that many women in medicine either, so it wasn't really a female thing, but uh, for me, I just needed, and, and I just, I really loved medicine, and I finally just accepted the fact that I could do it, that I could do it, but I was too afraid to admit that I was, not that I couldn't do it, but I was too afraid of the time commitment and being able to have a family, and then I think four years later I realized, you know, you c I can make this work. So. And the time commitment, thinking of the medical school the and that, the residency yeah. and all that. Right, 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 right. Which, for those, I know a little bit, but what is that time commitment for those that are so listening? So four years of undergraduate degree, and then four years of medical school, and then anywhere between three to, for me, it was four more years of anesthesia training. But it could be three years if you do pediatrics, or it could be eight years if you do neurosurgery. So, um, so four undergrad for med school and then your training which is variable depending on the field you choose so for me it was uh, four additional years so it was 12 years after high school so you loved medical you loved the medical field right but the time commitment potentially conflicting with i know i want a family right uh and i think you mentioned earlier the environment community not really encouraging or pushing I wouldn't say pushing but helping women into the medical field oh I remember specifically talking to friends of mine a friend of mine who has two brothers in medical school and they both told me don't do it um, but if you talk to a lot of doctors they'll tell you not to do it um, it, you know, it's it's a system where it's it's hard it's a long hard road and then you know you get burnt out quickly a lot of female I've met a lot of physicians do but for me and and even my daughter she's graduating from medical school next month or two months um the many physicians told me why are you letting your child go into medicine you know because of all the changes and blah blah and I go you know what she's not going into it to be her own boss she's not going into it because she thinks she's going to make a lot of money because both of those are you know definitely going you know by the wayside I was like she's going into it because she really loves like she really loves medicine and that's really what you have to do and that was me I like I really love the study of medicine and being able to talk to patients being able to help patients to me it was so much more rewarding than engineering so do you think of it any differently I imagine when people are going through med school and just out of med school mm -hmm. maybe a few years they feel one way being in the industry for so long do you feel any different about telling somebody to go into it 
No, I, I mean, uh, okay, so I still love, love, love my job, but I work part-time. And I think that if I had to work full-time, um, you know, as any, you know, career, you're going to have a little bit more uh, frustration with it. So because I chose to work part-time, I think that when I am there, I mean, I still really love my job. I don't have to work, but I choose to work because I really just love my job. So... But, you know, not everybody is as blessed to be able to work part-time, so. And I imagine with six children, how could you do it any differently? Well, um, yeah, I mean, that was just, it was it was crazy. You just have to have good help. And, you know, my thing with my husband, he would always say, you know, you don't have to work. And I told him two things. One, I li- people listen to me and I get respect when I go to work. So it's kind of like a mother's day out. <laughs> And two, I was like, I just, I love it when I get there. I love, I love my job. So, um, so yeah, I've always stayed working. But, you know, I know there's a lot of physicians who, you know, it, the system has beat them down, you know. But that's in any field or any career. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, you know, again, let's think about how long it takes to become a doctor, plus family, plus being a female in the medical industry, what are some of the challenges that you faced along the way? Before we started recording, I was mentioning how about a year ago, you and I were sitting at a graduation barbecue, maybe it's almost two years now, I can't remember, and you were telling me about some of the challenges you faced early on entering this field. Even, I think maybe it was your residency, and you were pregnant, and people telling you, don't get pregnant, don't do this. Like The comments that I received, I mean, they, they just would never fly today. Never. Like, it went back to when I was interviewing for medical school, and I remember it was a WashU um, interviewer, and he said to me, how do you feel about not that many women being in medicine? It was a fair enough question, but nowadays you could never bring that up. And I just kind of laughed at him. I said, well, it's got to be better than electrical engineering because there's like one other girl in my class. (laughs) Um, And then, um, you know, we got pregnant um, the first year after I I started my training. And um, I had a physician look at me in the eye and he said, you realize all you did was take a male spot in medical school? And I remember going, yeah, well, that requires no response. And I just walked away. And later on, he was an old-time surgeon. We were scrubbed in a case. And I looked at him and I said, I guarantee you I graduated higher than any of those surgical residents in medical school. You know? And I did. You know? But because I had chosen a family, he thought I was going to quit. And, you know. Mm. So, um that and I mean, I remember literally uh, um, having a every year we had we sat down with our anesthesia department chairman to talk about career options and all that stuff. And and I think I may have been pregnant with my second at that point. And uh, he looked at me and he goes, "You know, you could really make something of yourself. Like you could, you have so much potential. You could really do something." He goes, but I know you have outside interests when you go home. Like, 
should we call them by their name, you know, or are we just going to leave it like that, you know? So basically he was implying because I was choosing to be a mother and I had outside interests, I wasn't going to climb the big, you know, academic career ladder. And, uh, you know, to this day, well, he's retired now, but I remember he used to always send me a Christmas card, you know, from the department, and he'd sign it, you know, some cheesy Christmas card. And I thought, dude, you can save your stamp, because I am never coming back, you know, to academic medicine. So, I mean, just comments like that through the years. I mean, nowadays, those would never fly, I and mean, the females could never, you know. But I remember literally when I was nursing, and I would be pumping in the bathroom, and I had like, I would pump in a bathroom sink and people would be trying to wash their hands and I'd be hearing my name over. I mean, it was just like, there was no accommodations, zero. And now I walk back past the lactation room. I'm like, oh, wow, I would have been happy with my own closet, much less anything. So, you know, all those things have changed dramatically and great. I mean, that's awesome because yeah. then the women can go back to work. You know, because the men say they weren't not going to go back to work. Well, make the accommodations for us, you know. So I think it's important what you said there. A lot has changed. Oh, my which, gosh. Which, for the better, which is great. Absolutely. Looking back, you mentioned just kind of letting those comments slide. Maybe that was the right thing to do back then in the time, in the era. Do you think, would you do anything differently looking back? Would you? Would you challenge that or... It's not my personality. You know, I can yell at my husband and kids, but I can't really yell at any, not really yell, but, you know, I'm not super confrontational. Um, I'll make a little comment here and there. I remember after we had number six, I wasn't sure if I was going to go back. I mean, it was just overwhelming at home. And uh, they were like, what will it take to get you to come back? Tell us, tell us what your schedule you want. And I said, okay, you want to hear it? I don't want to start cases till 8 in the morning, and I want to be off by 2. It's like, I want to get my kids off to school, and I want to be there when they get home. So they're like, we'll make it work. We'll have people cover for you, and so come back. So I did. Two days a week. That's all I was working. Two days, three quarters of a day kind of thing. And I remember leaving one day around 2, and one of my male counterparts, super nice guy, great guy, goes, huh, must be nice, you know, to be basically leaving at 2. And I said, yeah going home to the harder job and he goes oh absolutely oh absolutely i'm like oh no i know <laughs> staying here is a lot easier than going home to the chaos that i've got waiting for me you know so um so in my career it was it was starting to like they definitely have made huge progress as far as letting women you know be more accommodating with their schedule and then we will stay working you know because it, family life will be able you you can balance it better i imagine though it wasn't like you got your first job and said okay i want all these accommodations oh you had to <laughs> work hard prove yourself right put the time in oh yeah i mean i was the first female physician anesthesiologist that mercy hired they really didn't know what to do with me they didn't know how to pay me they didn't know what to do with me because they had they didn't they had some part-time nurse anesthetists but they never had a part-time physician so i was woefully underpaid in the beginning and i kind of suspected it i knew it but i just wanted to get my foot in the door and then uh, we used to always have a system of who gets out, you know, like 
who started their cases earlier, who's been, you know, and I was always the last person out. I was always the last person out. Yeah, I wasn't getting paid hourly, but, you know, I was always, because I was part-time. She can stay and finish that case till 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, you know, whereas the other people were getting out, you know, and they're like, well, they have to come back tomorrow. True, but they're getting paid to come back tomorrow, you know, so, so, I, I pay my dues, and then I remember specifically talk about, I mean, I have a bazillion of them, these comments that people make, and they're just, you know, I don't think they ever meant to be rude to me, but when you hear it played back, you're like, did you really just say that? Um, we finally had a very strong-willed uh, anesthesiologist, female, and she wanted to go part-time because she had kids. And she spoke her piece. She spoke her mind. So I was just like, yeah, what she said. Yeah. Because I could never. Yeah. So uh, she was trying to fight for better salary for us because they really didn't know how to compensate because we weren't on a partnership track. So we were never going to get the partnership. Why was that? Why were you never going to get partnership? Because we were part-time. Okay. Yeah, because we were part-time. So she was a previous partner, and then she cut back. So she had a lot more know-how of how the salary and the bonus and all that worked. And I was like, happy to take a paycheck home, happy to do my job. Never really needed that much money with my husband being a physician. So for me, it was more like I just wanted to create my, keep my career up. So in that sense, I've been very blessed. But um, this we were having this conversation with one of the partners about our compensation. And so she was very knowledgeable about everything that went down behind closed doors where I had never been a partner. So he said, do you realize that my wife works more hours than you guys up at our kid's school, you know, volunteering, and she doesn't get paid anything. And I was like, yeah, well, I just put a two kilogram baby to sleep today that's not serving lunch. That's not volunteering for a, you know, a Halloween party or a Christmas party. We're we're not volunteering. We're doing hardcore anesthesia. We're just doing it, you know, a fewer days. So, comparing us working part time to his wife working volunteering up at school, I was like, you you know, just didn't even see the, the connection there. It is pretty amazing some of the comments even still that are made today that I think is one reason why this podcast exists is to tell stories and to talk about it and make people aware, not necessarily because it's mean spirited. Exactly. But most of them, a couple early on, like the old time surgeon, but those are, those were rare. More of it was just kind of ignorance, you know, it's getting a ton better because there's so many young female physicians coming out. I mean, when I would be talking to a patient, you know, years ago, and, you know, a family member would, you know, call into the room and they'd be like, yeah, well, so the nurse is here now, so so I got I can't talk. And I would just, you know, okay, whatever. I mean, I'd always introduce myself as Dr. Yalakaz, but whatever. They just didn't assume that, you know, they just assumed that if I was a female, I wasn't going to be a doctor. But now there's so many female physicians out. I mean, I don't get that ever anymore. Well, maybe because I have more gray hair, but. <laughs> what do you think is the change for more female physicians? I think the STEM classes for sure, and and then just the encouragement of females can do this, and I think the flexibility of the work schedule. 
Like we have a GI doctor now who, um, you know, generally if I'm in the colonoscopy suite, um, we don't stop. Like we don't stop for lunch. We don't stop. The nurses all get breaks, but the, the GI doc and the anesthesia doc, we just keep on going. So we'll generally finish, you know, two-ish, three-ish sometimes, um, sometimes one, you know, but generally at two o'clock. And so, um, you know, you're pretty hungry by that point and you've just been just doing case after case after case. Well, she rearranged her schedule so that she can pump in the middle of the day every time she has a baby. I'm like, that's so freaking awesome that everybody's like, yeah, we have to take a break because Dr. Gore needs to go pump. And I'm like, wow, like, just completely unheard of so we're making accommodations and so females can see hey i can have a family and keep up my career so and probably even for her and i wrote it down something that you said earlier is speaking up and saying no i want this no i need it Mm -hmm. uh for you you mentioned that other female who was part-time saying because she had already known and you're saying yes what she said yeah exactly so some of it's knowledge and gaining knowledge around the whole situation. But I think a part of it, and, and I know I have my own issues with this, is asking for what we need and setting those boundaries. And that seems to be helping because even though the accommodations are there, she could say, I'm going to power through no matter what because that's just what we always do. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead, she says, hold up, I'm going to pause, do what I need to do, and then we'll continue from there. Absolutely, right. And I think more females there's there's power in numbers and there's a lot more of these young females and they're talking together and so you know like i said when i first got out i mean i was the first part-time physician anesthesiologist that they hired they didn't i didn't have anyone to like talk to commiserate with or you know how is this working for you and are you always getting stuck to in the last cases of the day because i'm always stuck late and you know but now they're all you know um there's there's so many more so in fact my daughter's going into OBGYN and her I mean that field has dramatically changed I mean now there's no men going into it I mean if any there's one in any class so um so and Erin my daughter is you know she was worried about how's this going to work I'm choosing a pretty high high you know part field or whatever and I said sweetheart I was like your your partners are going to be females they're going to get it most of them will probably have families not all but most and I'm like you guys will all be able to say hey something came up you know last minute like you know can you cover for me and so I said you will have so much more understanding with all females than men who you know, and my husband's one of them. Oh my, I mean, he never, there was no accommodations on his part. For for you. So that was going to be another question at some point through this conversation is, well, I think a couple of things. One, I was talking to somebody a couple months ago. They said, they look at doctors and think, oh, you have everything. There's no issues, no challenges. Whether or not one is just a doctor and the other spouse stays home, Mm -hmm. there's still challenges and things to deal with. So I imagine both of you being doctors and you have patients that you're seeing and you have a schedule. And if something comes up, whether it's kids or you're sick or a house issue, the, I don't know, the air conditioner goes out and somebody's going to come over. 
and you have all these other people relying on you, not only the patients, but all the other staff and the different things that you're doing. Right. There's no, there was no, you had to have somebody at home. Like I always had my babysitter at home and she was like, she was my wife. When I was gone, she took care of everything. Now, the night before me writing down who needed lunch and who, you know, had to stay after school and who needed to study for a test and who had practice and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I had like this long list every night before I worked. And then funny enough, Greg would just like, I'd be going through the list the morning that I was leaving, standing there talking to my babysitter, Mary, she was phenomenal. And uh, Greg would come in the, uh, in the kitchen, grab his coffee. I'm like, have a good day. I'm like, sign me up for that shit. I mean, seriously, like just walk through the kitchen and be like, bye. I'm like, you know, I took care of it all. You know, I took care of it all. So that was how we worked it. It's fine. He's a great guy, but the, you know, he would if I let him, but you know, he'd probably forget kids places and wouldn't think it was important that they study early. All those things that moms generally are more focused on. So anyway, <laughs> I have no idea what you're what you mean on that front. <laughs> and I agree with you. You know, I know you guys have been married for a long time. I'm coming up on 20 years with my husband. Amazing. So supportive. Great relationship. Does a lot. Also doesn't see a lot. And I think that's just the female yes. nature where... And when, and when you raise a, ma- a boy, you see it. They're like, you're like, oh, that's just ingrained in you. They just don't see it. And Greg would do anything I ask him to, but he just doesn't see it. Right. And they might forget some of those things right. along the way of they will do anything, but you're right, they don't see it. And it's almost on you then to make sure that you ask somebody or that you get it done or oh. like, remind, remind, remind. Right. And if you're not the nag, then. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, right. Yeah. But I guess the important part of this, I feel like, like you said, some of it's me not delegating. Right. Or not, or just putting my hands up and saying, you know what, I'm no longer responsible for this. You know, Cole, you're 16. You get the messages just like we do that if you have a late start or you're off or you have to actually, we'll see if this happens this week. He's supposed to bring something to school on Thursday for they donate things. I didn't saw it yesterday. I thought I'm just going to let it go. It's not my responsibility. It's his school. So what part of that is as women, as moms, we need to either ask, we need to delegate, we need to, um, get out of the way and let potentially that six-year-old, 16-year-old fail and not bring that in that day. And, and what is it society and what is it men? I don't know. You know, I think men in general are a ton better than certainly my dad, you know, and then his parents, you know. So I think we're moving in the right direction. I mean, if you ever pay attention to commercials about laundry, it's all men doing laundry. Have you ever noticed that? I haven't lately. Look at the laundry commercials. It's men doing the... So I think they're trying to send a message, hey, men can do this. You know, men can do all that. Um, My husband's mentality was hard because he's such an intense surgeon mentality. And if I cried out for help, like, I need more help, and he would be like, hire it. Hire people to help you. I'm too busy with my work. I can't help. And I would always say, I didn't have these children for somebody else to raise. I'm like, you know what? I need you home. I need your help. And it's it's worked out for us. I mean, in the sense that 
he has come home a lot more than I think he would have. But um, in general, no, he hasn't <laughs> pulled his fair share. But, you know, then I, I don't work full time. So that's, a, that's the, you know, the balance. And it works for us. But, you know, there's a lot of men, you know, that are staying home now. And I think it's a very respectful position to be in. And um, so I think, I think society is moving that direction. But yeah, it's probably slow. Yeah, I think the more people see it out there, commercials, or men who are staying home, I know, my husband saw his family where his mom would work it's at one point in their lives growing up in the evening, his dad worked during the day. So his dad would make dinner. Now, it might be like a tombstone pizza or something, but still hey, his dad was making. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. And um, inside family joke, no mushrooms, but <laughs> <laughs> don't like mushrooms. So I think he partially saw that uh, growing up and so was able to adapt as we evolved as a couple and a family. And so being able to see that, not only from the male side, but the female side. So I'm sure more women going into the medical field, they're seeing women like you who've done it, who've persevered, other women that you partnered with in that office to say, well, I'm now part-time, this is what we need to be able to do it, or the GI doctor saying, right. mm -hmm. I'm gonna pause middle of the day. Mm -hmm. So probably both sides seeing, oh, we can do it that way. Right. Well, and I mean, at least in the medical field, I'm like, the, I mean, Patients really like female doctors. They listen more. They're more compassionate. They more. I mean, I see. I and not. I mean, that's a generalization, clearly. But I think having more females in medicine has brought what you know in in years past, where there was the family doctor that knew everybody, and there was the you know everybody could rely on that person. They knew their family or whatever. You know, those days are long gone, right? And bringing more females into it is, is bringing a little bit more of the compassion back because they generally just tend to listen. We have one young female doctor. I absolutely love her. You know, she pulls up a chair. She pulls up a chair by everybody's bedside, and she goes, let's chat. Let's just chat, you know? And I'm like, it's just, it's just, it's just a different approach, which men generally aren't that way. So I think... I think it's just moving in the right direction as far as women seeing that they can do the medicine and men seeing they can do the home thing and we can, you know, combine it better. So, Do you think your kids have been impacted one way or the other by seeing you part-time but getting help, but you also persevering in this industry that is career that's challenging yes i part of the reason why i never wanted to quit is because i wanted to show my girls that you can you can have a career you can have a career and still have a family um i mean my son does all the cooking for his wife when he comes home um for the most part sorry Libby, if you do more <laughs> But he says he does. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and, you know, I've seen him do a lot more female roles than his father ever did, you know. And um, so, um, and I know my daughter who's going into medical school, she, you know, realizes now that she can have a family and go be in medicine. So I have another daughter who's thinking about dental school. And I'm like, you know, what a great field for, you know, a female. So, um so yeah, I think that it's been important for me, and and I've also told my girls the one thing that I was glad I never did was I never ever quit 
Like I never even, I mean, I had maternity leaves, but I never left the field for any length of time because I think it's harder to get back in. It's harder to get back in and it's harder to feel confident going back in. So I've encouraged them all to find a job that they can have a good work-life balance, you know, so that they don't ever really like leave it and therefore they always have something, you know, to fall back on. And I think it's, you had you had your first child, second child early on in your career. But even for women who are out of college working, you know, work hard, work smart, be there, be reliable, so that at some point in time, if you need to ask for something, mm-hmm. they're more likely to give it to you. Right. And they know the value that you'll bring when you come back, you know, or if you take some time off or whatnot. Right. I remember, I don't remember the whole story, but I think you told a story about you were really sick and you were barely climbing up the stairs into the hot. So when you say don't quit, literally, yeah. I I don't, again, maybe you can tell us that story to say, you know, you're going to go through some hard things. You can do it. Don't quit. I just, that story. That was, yeah. Call me stupid. I I got, I have a disease called ulcerative colitis and I got crazy sick about five, six years ago. And, you know, I I was in a smaller group at the time and I just, I, I had to go to work. I mean, I had to go to work. It was like I was the only anesthesiologist there. And there was like, you know, probably 60 patients coming in. It was an eye center at the time. And and I remember just literally trying to get to the top of the steps and just being exhausted from climbing up one flight of steps. And I remember like clinging to the handle. And I walked in and the nurse goes, tell me you're not here to work. And I go, I'm all you got today. Like, I'm the only anesthesiologist here today. And, um, yeah, it was, I went through some hard times. I mean, I'm feeling a lot better now. And I did take some time off when I was crazy sick after that because I kind of thought, as you know, I'm not doing anyone any favors here. So, uh, but, yeah, no, never quit. <laughs> What if you could give yourself advice or your daughter's advice looking back, what would some of those, maybe we've already touched upon them or we can summarize them or there's new things. What advice would you give? You know, I think the biggest thing that I, that would have made my life a lot easier then is somebody has got to have flexibility in the family. Like, you know, not that you're going to choose your spouse based on their career, but it certainly would have been helpful for my career if my husband had any flexibility and for his too. Because when I went to work, I was completely, of course, he doesn't answer the phone to the home when he's at work. <laughs> That's, you know, his way of like, well, I, don't, I didn't know what was going on kind of thing. So, you know, that's kind of one of the things that would have been nice for me to keep more of my career up if I had some sort of flexibility with, with my husband. But, you know, I found a great babysitter and she basically became what he couldn't help me with. Um, and, you know, all there's so when I was going into medical school, physician assistant wasn't even a term. It, it was there was no PAs. And now all the young women are going into PA school. Not all, but I a lot of these women say, I want to go to medical school or PA school. And, you know, um, a lot of these women make great doctors, 
but I think they convince themselves that it's a shorter road and an easier road and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, medical school is four years undergrad and four years of, of medical school. But PA school is four years of undergrad and like three years of PA school. Now, if you're a doctor, you do have to do the training. It's paid. You work a lot of hours. It is paid job. So, so anyway, I would just say that you know, you know, you can still go for, yeah. You know, I've I've never regretted going for the highest degree I could get, and you can always come back, you know. So I've I'm always happy that I did that far. So I always tell these young women who come talk to me, I'm like, you can make it work. Like nowadays, you can have a family, you can have flexibility, you can have a work life balance. Being a doctor, you know, you don't have to be. You know, anything less if that's not what you choose to. If you want to be a PA, that's great. It's a fantastic feel. But if you want to be a doctor, you can do it. Don't don't cut yourself short. Just, you know. Don't let fear. Right. Mm -hmm. So do you think mentoring would help, whether it's in the medical field or any other field, for these younger women early on to catch somebody like you and say, not only... Have you gone through all this, but then you've had experience or you've seen the industry change? What advice would you have to me? So would that be helpful? One and two, is that established? Is that available? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there are. I mean, there's plenty of people to reach out to. You know, I think. Um, I think it's just when the going gets tough, it's easy to kind of like, oh, I don't have to do all that. You know. I didn't have an option. There was no PA. There was no shorter route, you know. So, I mean, but the one thing I did do is when I was in medical school and I was like, uh, uh, this is so hard. I can't do this. I knew I could get a job the next day. Like, I could walk out and get a job as an engineer. So it was good that I had an option. So I got to choose whether I wanted to stay or not. But if you had, like, an undergrad with, like, a biology or chemistry, you know, it's just going to be harder to get to get out and get you know good solid jobs so um i think there are there's a lot of mentoring going on now i mean i see it in the kids schools they have the stem you know i mean my daughter went to Coriezu, my oldest daughter and there's a huge stem project and you know there's female robotics teams and stuff i mean all that so the the mentoring i i think it's out there you just have to reach out for these girls need to reach out for it yeah it sounds like if you're young high school college don't be afraid to reach out to somebody maybe you don't even know or it's somebody you do know i saw you're connected to this person can you make an intro Mm -hmm. and ask to have a phone call a meeting a coffee or whatever absolutely yeah and maybe help vet some of that struggle out earlier on right 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 absolutely because i will say personally when i took my cpa exam before marriage before kids it was a lot easier than some of the ex- other exams I did pregnant oh. or with a couple of kids. I'm sure you'd say the same thing. I, oh, my gosh. I uh, I just had – um, I took my oral boards t- three weeks after I had a second trimester miscarriage. And it was my second second trimester miscarriage in a row. So I had two back-to-back in between babies two and three. And I had to sit for my oral boards – like three weeks later, and I remember just, um, I remember making chocolate chip cookie dough and eating it because I was so depressed. 
I was so depressed. I was so sad. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to have any more kids. And then I had to sit for the oral boards. And in anesthesia, when you sit for your oral boards, they basically just grill you on one complication after another to see if you're going to, you know, save the patient, if you're going to figure out what's going on with the patient. And they tell you beforehand that a lot of your patients are going to die, you know, and we're just going to keep on giving you complications or whatever. It's really hard to feel good about how well you did when all your patients die. <laughs> because you're like, I know they told me that, but I still didn't save anyway. Anyway, so a lot of, cu- lot of chocolate chip cookie dough, and I passed, thankfully. Uh, and then we were able to go on and have four more kids. But yeah, I just remember sitting there for that. It put it in perspective, though. It, you know, taking the oral boards at that time, I was like, you know, Certainly, my family is still the most important part of my life, which is the reason why I wrote that. I'm like, my biggest accomplishment is my six kids. You know? So tell me about, I'm, I'm imagining oral boards. You're walking into this room that's sterile, stale, not a lot going on, and you just have people behind, like four or five doctors in white coats and whatever, behind a table throwing all these things out you is that what it was like at all it, it not quite it's actually in a hotel room and if we weren't doing the physical anesthesia they were just telling me things that happened and would show me the vital signs and show me what was going on and so basically for an hour in one room and then a little break and then an hour in another room and there was two physicians that sat there and just threw out every complication they could come up with and I had to figure out what to do. I mean, and they had the graphs and they had, you know, all that stuff. So it wasn't, we weren't practicing on patients. But yeah, it was like I had a headache for three days afterwards. <laughs> just the stress of just, just being grilled, you know, and trying to, you know. And then knowing that I still didn't save them because then they told us, we're most of them are going to die, so just be prepared. But I still feel like I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> Maybe doing that in a hotel room is normal in the medical field why a hotel room yeah because everybody had to fly to baltimore i mean i took my oral boards everybody had to fly in and 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 we were literally all lined up and seriously we were all lined up and all the examiners were in the hotel rooms and we were all lined up in chairs outside in the hallway and then you got called in yeah, it was very strange. You wouldn't think that that's how you do, you know. But I guess because you have to be in person and they want to make sure you can think on your feet and act on your feet and stuff. Um, and I guess I, nowadays, they I think they have better simulators, you know. In those days, we still had like, you know, Annie, Annie, are you breathing? Annie, are you breathing? <laughs> you know, nowadays they probably have, you know, a ton of stimula- simulators. So probably much better. Maybe more stressful. I don't know. <laughs> right. Maybe they can go harder at you because it's right. all there. Right. Who knows? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you mentioned your the joy of being an anesthesiologist. And while in those boards and getting those uh, interviews, you didn't save a lot of people. Right. Mm-hmm. However, I imagine throughout your career, there's a few stories that really stick out that said, I am where I'm supposed to be. Can you share your most interesting, exciting, proud moment or two? I remember when I was relatively new, probably had been there less than six months at Mercy, and uh, there was a call um, into the anesthesia lounge that they needed anesthesia stat up to the ICU. 
and they had uh, sedated a patient to do a procedure on her, and they had lost her airway, and she was not she was struggling to breathe, and uh, so. I remember two of my more senior male colleagues and I ran up because we were done with our cases. And, uh, you know, your classic 10 people around the bedside. And uh, the first male colleague looked into her airway to see if he could put an endotracheal tube in to secure her breathing. He couldn't see anything. The second colleague looked. And the patient was struggling to breathe. She was sedated, heavily sedated, and she was just kind of gasping to breathe. And the uh, general surgeon was standing there um, getting ready to put a knife in her throat to put a emergency airway in. And I remember looking at the nurse, and I said, get me some n- nasal spray. And she was like, what for? I'm like, just give, me the, just give me some nasal spray. And she brought it to me. I was like, I said, hold on one second, and I put the tube through her nose. The nasal spray was to decrease the the blood vessels in the nose, and I put the tube through the nose, and the patient was truly struggling to breathe, and I just advanced it a little bit, and she just sucked it in, and I, you know, secured the airway without her, without them having to go through the neck and whatnot. And I remember everybody just kind of looking around, they're like, how did, what, 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 you just, and I'm like, you know what? barns in the middle of the night you're training you're like the only one there I'm like the nasal airway saved you so many times when you couldn't really see what you were looking for because when you when you intubate a patient you look for the vocal cords and you're trying to put the tube through the vocal cords because it leads to the lungs but a lot of times if they're obese and they have a lot of tissue and you can't see where you're going and nowadays we have a lot of fiber optic um instruments but back in those days it's pretty limited so i was like guys when you're alone at three in the morning and you're losing the airway you just you go for the nose and you just you know and so that was my that was my everybody was like dang that was impressive i was like okay i'll take it once and that was it and i mean the surgeon was just standing there getting ready to cut her neck you know just to secure her air that way and i remember thinking all right i think they think I'm okay. Like I'm decent. Like I, I literally say that patient's airway. So that was, I do remember feeling really good about it thinking, okay, I can hang with these guys. You know, it was relatively new, but I can, I can do what I was trained to do. So and probably those dark troubling moments at three in the morning at the ER, looking back, it's going through those. Oh, like, absolutely saved me that's how how you learn you're on your own you're the only anesthesiologist i mean when we were at barnes we were the you carried the call beeper and if anybody coded you as the anesthesiologist showed up to the code to secure the airway so you were at you know every code in the middle of the night you know so so lots of codes lots of experience so i mean i was very I benefited from training at an excellent institution where I got lots, lots of practice. <laughs> yeah, so lots of practice, probably very challenging. But had you not gone through that, that patient would have a cut. Well, then, they, yeah, they would have had a, 
a, a surgical airway, which yeah. would have eventually healed, but I got to look like the star for one shining moment. <laughs> I just imagine you walking out with, you know, with a little swagger. Uh, you know what? It was, it was, it was one of those things that I actually did feel good about myself. You know, and any anesthesia, you know, you're never the the surgeon. Nobody remembers you, which is fine. I don't need that. I remember somebody said to me, "Do you ever feel like you're the second doctor in the room? You know, because you're not the surgeon." And I was like, I don't care if I'm the 22nd doctor in the room. I said, at night tonight, if there's any problems with his patients, they're gone, the surgeon, not me. <laughs> so it was, it was good. And, you know, we've, I had a lot of, I did pediatrics a lot when I came out. And uh, I loved doing the kids. Loved, loved, loved doing the kids. And I would say to the moms, I get it. I mean, I get this. I know how hard this is for you. And uh, I had a lot of moms come back to me saying, you made such a difference for me because I was so nervous. But knowing you as a mom took over versus, you know, just somebody that didn't quite have a compassionate feel. So that was always very special, hearing back from the moms. So, so yeah, trust yourself. Go through the difficult times and know that there might be a bright point down the road that had you not had that right. difficult time, you right. wouldn't be able to add that extra layer of right. empathy, prepared for you. connection, mm -hmm. protection. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Being a mom, doing kids, that helped me tremendously. And in so many fields where being mom can be looked upon as a negative. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, we just need to shift our thought and say, actually, being a mom, being that family's CEO of right. probably mm -hmm. having to manage so much and dealing with different kids with different personalities, with different challenges, with different activities, actually, maybe being a mom is a benefit in the workplace. Oh, absolutely. In fact, the nurses used to always like know that if they worked with any other anesthesiologist, they got to carry the patient back to the room if it was a baby or a toddler or whatever. But they're like, no, I'm working with Dr. G. She's she carries the patient back. I took the patient. Like, I took the patient from the mom. I'm like, I got this. I'm going to take the best care of, you know, little, you know, Freddie. And, and, and I will not leave his side. And so the nurses all knew that they didn't get to carry the baby i was going to <laughs> but the little those seems like a little touch makes a world of difference for the person it was. going and i that. really and i knew that it did because you know patients and mothers had come back to tell me and and being a mom i know that that would have and and john did have hernia surgery when he was a baby so i remember just watching him go and your heart just is like oh you know breaking because you know if being on the other side you know all the things that can go wrong right so just knowing that he was in good hands was you know made me feel wonderful so i like to be able to provide that for the moms so and i'm sure they appreciate it on their side they did they did so that was a good feeling so you talked about your biggest accomplishment being your kids but you also talked about you're so glad you never quit and you know you still challenged yourself mentally and in a in a hard field so looking back would you change anything now i'm really glad that i have that engineering background um i thought it was much easier to get into medical school with an engineering background um why I'm, is that 
um, I think they they realize that you know how to problem solve, and they realize you know how to you know do some hardcore you know studies. Um, took me a little bit to figure out how to memorize well, coming from an engineering background, um, but that just took some time. But um, so I always tell kids, if you don't know for sure that you want to go to medical school, get an engineering degree. You know, it's hard and you'll get a great job afterwards. And then, I mean, I had a, a physician who sat on the admission boards at SLU say to me, we take all the applicants to medical school and we separate out the engineers and we look at everybody else the same. He's like, because the engineers are going to probably have a lower GPA, but they're going to have a lot harder classes, and we know that they, so we're just going to look at them a little different. And I mean, and I experienced that because, I mean, I took my MCATs with three weeks of biology and three weeks of chemistry, so my score was terrible. My score in physics was very good, and they just kind of understood my story. They understood that I hadn't taken them, and I still got into WashU. So anyway, so I'm glad I did engineering undergrad, and um, you know, I I love the field of anesthesia. I really, I mean, I don't think I would change anything different. Um, WashU was a great experience, and yeah, you know, once again, I speak from a very blessed position that I've been able to work part time, and so. You know, I still love my job every day. Um, I, I think I probably would if I had work full time, but um, no. And I certainly wouldn't change. You know, all my kids. <laughs> I would probably change the fact that I probably shouldn't have had the first one as early as I did. But you know, I mean, we literally graduated from medical school in May. Started our internship, which is your first year of training, in July. And I found out I was pregnant, like, July 15th, like, the very first month of my training. So I had, that was hard, hard, hard. I mean, physically, I was, I was, I would barely make it out of patient's room because I had to go throw up. I mean, I would be on call 24 hours, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sleeping at all, and I could barely stand because I was throwing up all night long. Oh, I mean, my sister came up to the hospital one day because I was too weak to drive home. Um, you know, so being pregnant, doing that intense training was hard, you know, and Greg was never home. So as soon as Matt was born, I mean, it was all me. He was the first kid at daycare every morning, last kid to leave, you know. So those were very hard years. And then when I was pregnant with Kelly, I was still a resident, and... I mean, <laughs> I was working 80-plus hours a week. Greg was working 100 hours a week. We had this toddler. I was pregnant. I was exhausted. So um, I remember driving along Hampton Road because we lived in South City, and it was 6 in the morning, and I remember a truck crossing the center lane, and he started coming right at me. And I remember saying, just hit me. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to die, God. I just want to go to the hospital and sleep. <laughs> I was so tired. I was so, so tired. Um, but, you know, you forget those days. <laughs> you have more kids and you, you forget and you all go. about it. Yeah, but I wasn't working the hours. I mean, to be, to have two kids during training was kind of crazy. What got you through all of that? 
you I mean you mentioned it at some point you had a, a sitter and you had help yeah at but the time we didn't have any money yeah. yeah um you know my mom and Greg's mom helped for a little while when Matt was first born until I finished my residency and then um you know just yeah he was in daycare he was in daycare from the start from the time it opened to the time it left and I felt so guilty about that but you know he's probably my most well-adjusted kid he's so darn independent you know my the my youngest who I spent the most time with he's probably got the you know he's most anxious I'm like dude you could do this so um what got me through that you know faith that it was going to get better it was time limited you know I'm a countdowner I knew I had four years I knew I had three years I knew I had two years you know so and I wasn't gonna quit wasn't gonna quit I wasn't gonna I loved it I loved what I was doing uh and uh yeah I mean family faith and a lot of good babysitters so it sounds like you loved what you were doing so at the core you found something that fit with what made you tick so helping others black and white uh being able to be part-time in family at some point. But our conversation, it sounds like you're one who wanted to excel, get great grades, make an impact at that very challenging level. And so all of those aligned with you and your values in this, which had you stayed with engineering, maybe it may not be that, okay, I only have one more year to get through this two years. You might be thinking, oh, this is awful all the way through. So picking, finding that industry that right. connects with I mean, your I core. I loved, I've always loved what I do when I go in. I love talking to patients. I love helping patients. I love reassuring them. I love when they wake up happy. You know, I, I've had some patients that I've lost through no fault of my own, but, you know, you carry those with you. But you just, I just, I love what I do. So that's been very helpful. And my husband loves his job. He loves his job. He can get called at 3 in the morning to go in and fix a fracture, and he will not complain. I'd be, like, kicking in, blah, 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 3 in the morning. But he, he, he loves his job, too. Um, so that's been helpful. And our kids have seen that. I mean, we talk medicine at the table. And they are just, we don't realize we do that until somebody else sits down and you're like, oh, I guess that isn't table conversation. <laughs> My mom was a, nu- a nurse, so uh, right, right. I so was kind of used right. to saying things in a different way that normal kids around me didn't say those right, right. Uh, biological yeah. things right. with yeah. those terms. No, yeah, we just there's nothing held back. Although we do have one daughter who has zero capability to listen to anything medical. So when it starts, she's like, la, 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 la. And I thought she'd outgrow it, but... No, she's still that way at 27. <laughs> well, mate, what is she? What is she doing? She's getting her MBA and doing the wealth management. Okay, yeah. So yeah. still yeah. Uh, problem solving. Oh, like she's medical. She's she's probably our most brilliant child. She's and she and she knows she could go to medical school. She's like, I know I can do it. I know I can do it. But she goes, but would I actually have to touch people if I went into medicine? Um, yeah, sweetheart, you would. You would have to touch patients. And she's like, okay, forget it. <laughs> Something you mentioned before, guilt. Oh, Mom, absolutely. Guilt. Yeah. I know I struggle with this. But something you said there was, it might actually be beneficial for the kid. 
when so your oldest is you know more whatever free flowing solving their own issues independent just very he's been a dad since he's been little uh yeah the mom guilt and and we all have it we all have it even the yeah i see it with the younger moms now that i work with and i'm like yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is because dad's, at least my husband doesn't have it. He could be away from the kids for three or four days and he doesn't have it. Um, my daughter shadowed, um, the one that's in medicine, shadowed a female neurosurgeon um, when she was trying to decide to go to medical school. And the female neurosurgeon says, don't do it. She goes, it's Friday. I haven't seen my kids since Tuesday. You know, and... Uh, she goes, I thought it was cool being a neurosurgeon, and I do love my job, but I miss my kids. But I don't know, like I know my husband, I don't know what it is. Because if he didn't see our kids for two or three nights, I don't think he would carry that guilt. So, I don't know, estrogen. Um, maybe if I knew that my husband was home with the kids, that'd be fine, but but moms still want to be there for those moments, and dads can let them go. At least my husband. Sorry. But yeah, it, for whatever reason, like Greg went to one um, Halloween parade around the school, you know, and those moments that as a mom, you're like, you love with preschool, they're all dressed up and you're just like, you just really want to be there for it. And he just ha- Greg just happened to have the morning free for a cancellation or whatnot. So he came and John cried and was on my hips and Greg's like, glad I haven't been missing anything through the years. <laughs> so he was like, this is all it is. See, I knew I didn't. I wasn't. So anyway, I the mom guilt. I, I guess we power through. We know it will pass. I mean, we've talked about it in our family. I still carry a lot of mom guilt. But I know when I get out of the way and I step back, it's actually better for the kids. But I can remember daycare early on. Uh, JJ would always drop them off. Kids would never cry. They're happy. That was our routine. I got to pick up. So I got to open the door and see them run to me and put their hands up. And oh, it was amazing. The few times I dropped off, oh, they're crying. Miserable. I get in the car. I'm probably tearing up. Uh-huh. And it was just a totally, so I'm sure a routine, et cetera. But yeah, it seems innate that men can, I guess they just focus on one thing and they zone in and it's not a mix Oh of well, every aspect and, of their and, being, and that's and that's part of every day for them. Like you can't give them two chores; they've got to finish that first one first, you know. Whereas my kids always laugh. They're like, "Mom, you didn't finish your sentence." I'm like, "What?" I go, "Oh, uh, that conversation's over to me. I've moved on to something else." And they they'd say that all the time, "Oh, there she goes. She didn't finish." And I'm like, "Finish what?" Um, so my mind is always going a thousand different directions, and yeah. It got to the point when Matt was a baby at daycare, and he didn't own pajamas. Like, he slept in his play clothes because we would pick him up out of bed. And thank God that kid could sleep through a, a storm or everything. And we would put him in the car, drive him to daycare. They had a cot set up for him. So the poor kid, like, went to bed in his bed and woke up at daycare. And Greg could do that. And I cried every single day I dropped him off. I'm like, this is just really sad. Um, and he was like, he's fine. He's fine. And he was. So, so I was like, 
if Greg could do the drop-off, it was made my life a lot better. So those are some little tips and tricks. It certainly made my life better not to do the drop-off. Right. So maybe some of those adjustments and right. tips or tricks to to acknowledge, okay, we face this as women, as moms, for whatever reason, and it's okay. We're still going to do the things that we need to do to fill out life. But maybe there's some tweaks we can make along the way. I would definitely give more to Greg, even though he wouldn't acknowledge that he wanted the ex, you know extra work. But I would definitely delegate more of the kids' stuff to him that I took on. You know, you know all their homework. You know, of course, when I tried, sometimes that didn't go so well. You know, Craig was like, "Why do we have to make a?" a train for the book report. Like, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But I don't need to hear you whine too. But we have to make a train car for the book report. That's what the instructions say. So, you know, you try to give, give them more, but you know. But like you said earlier, and I think that's so true, we found in our family, having one parent who can have a little bit more of the flexible schedule that be huge. During those years where the kids are young and you've got projects and book reports and activities that they can't drive themselves to legally, um, and you can't Uber your children, even <laughs> yeah. if you want to, uh, all those things to have to say, I think what we've done is that as a partnership, as a family, we want this. Now, what's the best way for us to get there right now mm-hmm. with what we have in front of our plate? I also feel, and maybe because John's a little bit older he's a year older than our oldest maybe it's just because my kids are older in covid and they didn't give out a lot of projects i also feel like the schools aren't giving out as many projects like that that they used to and maybe that's a benefit because there's more families that are being stretched with two working households whatever it is so when my oldest kids were at saint clement the eighth grade moms had to work their share of pizza days on Thursday. Um, so I got assigned a so many pizza days in the school year, which meant I had to take the day off of work because Thursday was a typical work day for me. So I had to take the day off of work in order to work my pizza days, you know, and I did, and it was fine. I just worked around it and whatnot. And then as my, you know, cause I've got a 14 year spread, John was 14 years younger than Matt. Um, Somewhere around child four or five, they realized, hey, we could hire out people to do these pizza days and not make these moms have to take the day off of work because there was that many more working moms between that. And now, and then, but they still staffed the kitchen with moms, you know, in general. And then they finally just hired a cooking, a, a food service to staff because there were so many, there was just too, not enough moms were, were home. They, they could work lunch. So I saw that that evolution is in our kids' school. Um, and I was like, oh, all those days I took off just to work pizza days, you know, so, uh, Anyway, those a lot, all those things will help women just kind of balance, you know, the family life, work life. And it's know. almost training those other areas in our lives, right? So training the schools. I think before we started recording, we were laughing, and my husband laughs at this too. If there's a call from the school or the teacher or the nurse there, even though 
majority of people that know us know that I'm in an office. I have meetings randomly, calls from clients, etc. My husband works from home for the most part, has he's with us right now, has some projects and things where he's out of the house, but he's easier to get a hold of. He actually jokes. He's like, why do you even have a phone? You don't answer it. Um, jokingly. So, but the school still calls me, still texts me. Uh, you know, birthday parties, invites, they all come to me. So I just, as you were talking, the one thing I noticed that was missing from your story was they've noticed the, the mom's no longer can do it. They notice the moms are working more. Right. How at some point, and, and maybe it's hey, we're just hiring a service that replaces everybody, but we're still not to the point where it's well. What about the dads? Where are the dads mentioned in this scenario story? And none of this conversation or any conversation I have with women about this is ever meant mean spirited or oh men blah blah blah. I think it's just awareness. It's talking about it. It's having these conversations and, okay, here's what we faced and what's the solution? Now, how do we get there? Getting above and beyond it versus looking in the past and pointing fingers. We're not going to go anywhere if we do that. And I and I honestly think that, that, you know, like if you compare the generations, you know, our dads, our, our husbands are much better than our dads were. And so I think... You know, when I look at my own son and what he does for his son and his wife, you know, I'm I'm thinking that it's just it's getting better. It's getting better. Like, you know, if Jack's sick, Matt will take the day off if Libby's working. And I'm like, part of it is his job. You know, he's got some flexibility, which a lot more fields have more flexibility now. You know, post-COVID, there's so many more working ability to work from home. So I think that's going to open up a lot better help so that it's not all on the woman. You know, Libby is an occupational therapist, so, you know, she can't work from home. So if Jack's sick or something, you know, it's it's on that. And I'm like, whew, wouldn't have seen your dad do that, you know, but his job didn't allow for it, you know, and he did drive carpool one day a week when Matt was a freshman at Dismet and he liked to call himself Mr. Mom and I'm like I'm really I'm gonna fall off the chair dying laughing if you call yourself that one more time because you're pretty far from that you know so I think demanding for these the the younger generation to have more flexibility um Absolutely. It would help women stay in the workforce and not have the guilt. Because if your husband's home with the kids, there's much less guilt than if there's a babysitter. Or they're at a daycare or another facility. Right, right, right. 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 For a little while after I had number five, I actually went down to working one day a week. And uh, one of my daughters was like, who's going to be here when I wake up in the morning? I'm like, oh. Lord, I'm gone one day, and you still throw the guilt at me. And she didn't mean it meanly, but I ate it up. I ate up the guilt. I'm like, sweetie, I'm only working one day right now, you know. But, the, you know, they wanted mom. But if dad was there, she wouldn't have thought twice about it. You know, if I worked one day a week and Greg could accommodate his schedule. Yeah, that didn't happen for us. So hopefully maybe at the next generation, they'll be more flexible. I do like to tell people, you know, I feel the same way, right? Uh, they want me all the time. They want mom to do something. And JJ, 100%, like, I can help. I'm here. I'm sure if it was reversed and they never wanted me, 
and they only went to him ever, I'd be sitting here going, but my kids <laughs> yeah, don't right. come. Then you'd have more guilt. Then you'd have right. more guilt that you were working because they don't like you as much as they like that. Yeah, and for whatever reason, I think that's the maternal gene that most females have it. There are some that don't have it, and there and there's there's plenty in medicine that don't have any doubts. I mean, there's like, you know, there's several that have two nannies, you know, and I'm like, and people ask me how many nannies I have. I'm like. Oh, none i have a babysitter when i'm at work you know that's it i don't have a nanny you know but some people think that that's good and fine and you know that's fine yeah i'm sure their kids are gonna be fine but for me i need to be there yes i think that's important too as we've evolved as women working whatever industry not working it's all okay you figure out what works for you Mm -hmm. what works for your family or whatever goal that you have and you accommodate from there and it's okay but it's those assumptions sometimes that i feel like get put on us as women oh well how can you how can you leave your kids and come to work i've had people ask me that or you know aren't you so upset it's those i think comments or questions while inquisitive lean on the negative side that can make it even more challenging oh absolutely but i mean in general i think there's so many working moms these days that you know you don't get the guilt like you used like i mean i used to we're changing kind of what normal normal's just shifting and changing as people power through right in different ways some more pioneering like you did (laughs) versus ever but without others but without you doing that again i think so much of it is what are we seeing others able to do Mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden we know we can do it too oh there's these so many young female physicians now that it just makes me smile to think that they're they're doing it and they're working part-time or they're just blending the family and you know and i'm like it's just so refreshing because it definitely wasn't there when i started so and then training our kids both my son and my girls to say and i think something you alluded to earlier nobody can take away your certifications your education you can choose to pull back down the road you can always go back into it get the hardest yes absolutely yeah yeah for the girls to see that i've told my girls recently i just i want you to be able to do whatever you want to do at as high of a level as you want to do it so work hard you know pay attention soak everything and learn 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 grow but also for my son to then see our family dynamic where you know mom's doing this this or that but dad's supporting in this way and she's supporting him in this way so that he can like your son matt who's cooking or taking care taking the day off or working from home Mm -hmm. to be able to do that i think we'll exponentially see this snowball oh yeah our kids will definitely see it yeah they're the little sponges (laughs) (laughs) If we went over a lot of information today, you know, if you think back to one of the best or few best things that you ever did in life and or the mistakes you made that you wouldn't repeat, what are some that stick out to you? Best things that I did? Uh, I always laugh. I, 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 I worked really hard to get all of my prerequisites done and my engineering degree my senior year. And then went straight on to medical school. So literally, I had to finish my engineering degree um, 
August 1st, and then I started medical school August 31st. And that was crazy. I mean, I took a 20 hours a semester. But I always look back and I think, well, if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have been in Greg's class. And that's where we met. So that was the best thing slash hardest thing. You know, so we met and married then. Um, so, um, so actually, you know, going into medicine was, yeah, I think it's one of the best things. And then having my kids and I've been very blessed. Because it sounds like even the mistake going into engineering was actually really good for you. Oh, and right. it paid off. Well, interestingly enough, a lot of times people are like, oh, you were an engineer before. I actually literally had somebody, oh, you were an engineer before you were a doctor. You must really be smart. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, I can do math and science. This is true. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that was definitely not a mistake, although it was a hard road to do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure that I would do a lot different. Yes. Having having my first baby when I did was, that was probably, I wouldn't call him a mistake. It's birth, his actually birthday today. Oh. Happy birthday, Happy Matt. Happy birthday, Matt. 31. <sighs> I like it to be old enough to be the mom of a 31 year Right. You don't look it. You said something about gray hairs and things. I'm like, I don't. Oh, uh, well, you know, there's the appointments. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know. I know. Right. So maybe the story there is, you know, when you see a roadblock or you uh, are at a point where something's not fitting, don't just give up or quit. Oh, my be gosh. I could explore so easily quit when we started, when I had that first baby. In fact, when we told my parents that we were pregnant with Matt, my mom's face looked like I was about 15 years old and in high school. I mean, she was just so nervous that I wasn't going to finish the road that I had paved out for me because she knew what I was like with kids. I had a brother born when I when I was 13, so I was his little mom. And she, I was adored that little guy. So she knew what I was like with kids, and she was afraid. And I was, I put myself through undergrad and med school. I mean, and I had all kinds of loans, as all these medical students do now. And, you know, she was like, are you going to finish? Are you going to be able to do this? That probably was the hardest thing, but, you know, it was a gift from God. And what, I, you know, the old saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right, right. Well, and there's no perfect time to have a baby. Right. Absolutely zero perfect time. So, yeah, we tried all different kinds, and yeah, there was no perfect one. <laughs> so, in life, we'll see you with grandkids. We'll see you at uh, Mercy Hospital in the St. Louis area. Yes. Helping people. In the surgery centers. That's the one thing I have done is I've cut back to the surgery centers. Yeah, so it makes it um, lower key, lower stress. So we'll maybe see you out and about in those areas uh, if we have to go to a surgery center. So <laughs> maybe go. it's kind of like the dentist or whoever. It's like, I, I really don't want to see you. Right, yeah, there but you go. I guess if you, you do see terms. <laughs> Dr. Joanne Galicados, because there are two Dr. Galicatoses out there at least, Dr. Joanne Galicados, you know go. you're in good hands. Ah, oh, thanks. <laughs> well, thank you for reaching out or for coming today, for sharing your story. And I think, you know, again, just more confidence for women out there, reach out to people, women in the field, anybody really, ask for ideas, thoughts, help to find that right fit the right balance it sounds like now hearing your story it's like oh she just had it all 
pinned down. <laughs> so know that you won't. Right. It may seem like it to others on the outside. Right. But it's yeah. probably a lot of pivoting, yeah. navigating, help uh, input from others. And sometimes going with the flow and seeing where it takes you. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> it was a pleasure to dive deeper. Had no idea you were an engineer. Knew all about the doctor side. But uh, again, always a fun Thanks story. Thanks to good old dad. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and congrats to you for all that you've accomplished. And oh, thank you. Happy birthday to your son. Thank and you. Whatever's next in the journey yeah, for all of us. Yeah, more grandchildren. <laughs> one soon. Another yes, one soon. Exactly. <laughs> thank you, Joanna. I appreciate right. it. Thanks, Cynthia. This concludes another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. To hear more episodes of the show, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about our mission of helping women reach higher levels of success, visit sheliftproject.com and sign up to receive the latest news, ebooks, videos, and more.